Hi guys, it's Ololi, host of Sex and Relationships podcast, Laid Bare. I'm here to talk to you about my brand new book, The Big O. This is an empowering guide to having the best sex of your life. Introducing new ideas, tips and tricks to truly unlock that big O. Foreplay, kinks, consent and so much more. Nothing is off limits. The Big O out now in hardback, ebook and audiobook, read by me. Each year in Canada, between 17 and 80,000 people go missing. Most are found within the first few days. Many others join the growing list of long-term missing and murdered in Canada. Nine-year-old Richard Marlow was one of these people. Richard was last seen riding his bike up and down the street in front of his home in rural Etobicoke, Toronto, Canada, in July 1944. He has never been seen since. Richard is now the oldest missing person case in Ontario. This is Richard's story. Richard Amala was born February 9, 1935, in Toronto, Canada, the fifth child for parents John and Gertrude Marlow. Richard had three older brothers and one sister. Richard would struggle with feeding in his initial months of life, and there were times when doctors thought that he wouldn't make it. Today, he would have been labelled with failure to thrive. But Richard was a fighter and defied all odds. He would grow and meet all of his milestones. But because of his rough start to life, he was small for his age. His family lovingly nicknaming him Peewee because of his small stature. The large family lived on a rural property in Beta Street in Etobicoke, Toronto, Canada. In July 1944, nine-year-old Richard was in the third grade at school, which he loved. He had a perfect attendance record even leaving early every day so he wouldn't be late for school, which he never was. He was usually the first child at school. Richard's mother would later describe her youngest son in newspaper interviews as being shy and quiet. He was afraid of the dark and very wary of strangers. He always kept close to home and preferred to be around his family to anyone else. Pictures of missing and murdered children, they always hit me in the feels. Even if he had disappeared long before I was born, long before my mother was born. He looks like such a sweet and smart little boy. He's the kind of kid you just want to sweep up in a hug. All the more devastating is not only did his parents miss out on a lifetime of hugs with their youngest child, but also eventually his own children and grandchildren. Richard's father, John, was away from the family serving in the military. This was during the time of World War II, and two of Richard's older brothers, 23-year-old William and 20-year-old John Joseph, they were also away fighting for the Allies in Belgium. July 18, 1944 was a warm summer's day, a Tuesday, and the children were taking advantage of the beautiful weather, outdoors as children should, and the only way children lived in the 1940s without the benefits of streaming services and gaming consoles. My children could never. That night, Gertrude wanted to take the children to see a movie, but Richard and his 15-year-old brother Gerald had already seen it, the night before, actually. 
So the two boys chose to skip the movie and stay home to continue playing. Richard borrowing his sister Aileen's bike to ride up and down the rural road, Better Street, where his home was situated on. Despite it being evening, the sun was still out, but it had cooled down somewhat. Richard got changed into a warmer outfit to continue on his bike ride. Running out of the home dressed in a dark blue windbreaker, long blue pants and a striped jersey. Underneath a pair of grey cotton stockings with a yellow band around the top and a steel ring with the initials KL on it, and on his head his favourite blue hat. Gerald, forever the loving and protective older brother, was watching Richard closely, but then headed indoors himself to grab another coat. In those few short minutes, Richard disappeared, his sister's bicycle lying abandoned in the front yard, and given this was a time, a long time before cell phones, Gerald had no option but to wait until his mother returned home for help. When Gertrude returned home to find out Richard was missing, she was understandably panicked. She went around the neighbourhood asking all of Richard's friends and her friends if they had seen the nine-year-old, but no one had. It was not like Richard to leave without telling anyone. He was very much a homebody and fretted being away from the safety of his home. This was a huge red flag. And without any idea or sign where her son was, Gertrude reported him missing to police. Hi guys, it's Ononi, host of Sex and Relationships podcast, Laid Bare. I'm here to talk to you about my brand new book, The Big O. This is an empowering guide to having the best sex of your life. Introducing new ideas, tips and tricks to truly unlock that big O. Foreplay, kinks, consent, and so much more. Nothing is off limits. The Big O, out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Read by me. The Toronto police immediately commenced an extensive search. They scoured the rural area inch by inch, drained and dredged to Tobicoe Creek and other bodies of water in the area. They checked down wells and outhouses, called in experts from the United States in locating missing children, but nothing could be found. Upon hearing the news, John Marlowe returned home early from his military duties to help aid in the search. Forever loyal to their families, the Canadian military also assisted local police with the search. Family, friends, the FBI, local newspapers, everyone was out en masse to find this sweet and shy missing young boy. Police were stumped. Richard loved his family and was happiest at home. He had no reason to run away from home. For him to do this would be completely out of character, which is why Gertrude contacted police to begin with. And as a result, the case would quickly go cold. Seriously, this is one case where absolutely everyone involved gave 100% to find Richard, but no trace of Richard was ever found. The fact this case is almost a century old with no solution, I can't get my head around it. Yes, it doesn't have the graphic details or the failures of the system where someone could have stepped in, but this is one of the most heartbreaking cases I've ever read, in my opinion. Maybe because he is my youngest child's age and has these massive eyes with these gorgeous thick eyelashes. It all reminds me of my own child, and I cannot help but put myself in Gertrude's position. 
I cannot help but wonder if there are other similar cases in the area or even in the province. Was there a serial predator or a child trafficking ring working in the area at the time? It definitely seems on surface level, which really, given this case is 80 years old and most of his family has passed in the preceding decades, all we have left is surface level. But it definitely seems he was abducted. But was it planned or was it an impulsive act by a predator operating in the area? Let's look more into what happened next. In the years that followed, Gertrude would make herself available to newspapers to keep the interest in finding Richard alive. Gertrude never gave up on Richard. She believed beyond a benefit of the doubt that he was still alive, and just maybe he had an accident and had memory loss, and another family was caring for him. Psychics approached the family and offered their services, of course for a price. The Marlows did not take up their offers because it was just too expensive for the family. Over the years that followed, various sightings of Richard were called into police, claiming to have seen him throughout Canada and the United States. But unfortunately, these leads never led to anything, and Richard's family further grieved for their missing piece. The Marlows were contacted if there was any unidentified does found in or around the Toronto area that even came close to Richard's description. Gertrude and John would visit the morgue to see if the body in question was their son, but it was never Richard. Every Christmas, the family would place a gift under the tree for Richard and light a candle in the window for him. Every Christmas, the family would place a gift under the tree for Richard and light a candle in the window for him, hoping it would guide Richard home. As Gertrude told the Star newspaper, quote, The superstition says when the candle burns down, he will come back although three candles have burned themselves out. I'm going to light another one this Christmas. Unquote. Unfortunately, Gertrude would die ten years later, in 1954 at age 56. She had long-standing health issues, but her family would later say that she never recovered from the grief of losing Richard, and she died from a broken heart. John would die in 1973 at age 87 years old. Both Gertrude and John were buried next to each other in Glendale Cemetery. A third plot remains empty, waiting for Gertrude's beloved Richard. Today, none of Richard's siblings are alive, but they had the forethought to provide DNA samples before they died to the National Centre for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains. Today, Richard's niece and nephews continue the search for him. Richard's niece, Gal Dykeman, has been her uncle's biggest advocate. In her retirement, she's had Richard listed on missingkids.ca, which is an online resource centre operated by the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. This would lead to Richard's case being featured on the website database and plastered on billing envelopes mailed out across the country. Gail would tell the Global News how it was remarkable, and I would say commendable, that the missing persons unit is still investigating Richard's case, even after all these years. Quote, I'm very thankful and really happy that there are people who care and are working on it. The whole family is so appreciative of the missing persons unit. We believe someone took Richard, but we don't know why. Unquote.
So what happened to Richard? It does seem that abduction is the most likely theory, but there is literally nothing to back this up. If he was abducted, who took him and where did they go? And most importantly, what did they do with him? All of these questions remain unanswered to this day. Given he was so darn shy and afraid of strangers, maybe someone he knew was involved. It is hard to believe a predator would risk abducting him with people around. Guess it was evening in a rural area, but times were different and people were more active and aware in their community. It's very unlikely a child would be outside at the time and no adults around. It seems very unlikely a child would be outside at that time and no adults around. Or maybe more likely. It's hard for me to say. But I'm very confident that Richard did not choose to go with his abductor. I actually would almost guarantee that. But I don't know why I have that confidence. Because there are times parents say, there is no way my child would go with a stranger, only for them to do exactly that. I have worked hard with my children since a young age to prepare them for the rare instance a quote-unquote tricky adult will try and entice them away. But in that moment, will they actually think of what I taught them? Because I also teach my children respect, which is super important. So which wins in that moment? Would they go and help a stranger find a dog, for example, to be respectful? I would say in the age we live in, given social media and the awareness that brings, children today are more likely to pick up on the social cues of tricky adults that are masquerading as predators. But where does that leave shy and I would say sheltered Richard? I don't know. If it was a stranger who took Richard, they would have had to move quickly. His brother Gerald did not report hearing anything out of the ordinary. There was no screams or calls for help. It would have been a very bold abductor to risk taking him with people around. Gerald took his eyes off Richard for less than a minute. Due to Richard being smaller too and looking several years younger, it is possible his abductors thought they were taking a five or six-year-old. But then when they figured out he was older, maybe they wanted to get rid of him. It is possible against all statistics and likelihood that Richard is alive out there somewhere. Maybe someone did raise him as their own child. To me, this isn't likely because of his age and he had already formed solid memories of his family and who he was. I truly want to believe this is what happened to him though, but we all know the evil that's in this world. For his family's sake, I hope that Richard is out there and will be found one day so he can be finally laid to rest next to his parents. As told by Gail to the Global News, an impassioned plea to her uncle should he still be alive, quote, For 75 years your mother and pops, your sister and brothers, hoped and prayed for your safe return. Wherever your life led you, no matter how many years you were with us in spirit only, you were loved, unquote. At the time of his disappearance, Richard Marlowe was nine years old. He was three foot eight and around 50 pounds, making him appear several years younger. He may still be smaller than the average man. Richard had blonde hair and blue eyes with a scar on his right temple by his hairline. Richard was last seen wearing a dark blue windbreaker, long blue pants and a striped jersey. A pair of grey cotton stockings with a yellow band around the top a steel ring with the initials KL on it, and on his head his favourite blue hat. 
If Richard is still alive today, he would be 87 years old. Richard still has family out there that have missed lifetimes full of memories with him. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Richard Marlowe, please contact the Toronto Police on 416-808-4711. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice, and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. guys, it's Ononi, host of Sex and Relationships podcast, Laid Bear. I'm here to talk to you about my brand new book, The Big O. This is an empowering guide to having the best sex of your life. Introducing new ideas, tips and tricks to truly unlock that big O. Foreplay, kinks, consent and so much more. Nothing is off limits. The Big O, out now in hardback, ebook and audiobook. Read by me.